This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Happiness comes from the Greek word, is the Greek word, eudaimonia. And eudaimonia does not mean pleasurable satisfaction. And for 3,000 years, we knew that. It meant this, a life of character, wisdom, and virtue that finds its role in life and places. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to today's program. Today, we'll hear the rest of a message from Pastor Jeff. This is part of his series called Everyday Heroes. It's about defining happiness. We've been created to seek happiness, but are we looking in the wrong places? Have we discovered the reason that we're here, and are we pursuing our purpose? Let's hear from Pastor Jeff as he finishes this message on defining happiness. We're partway through, but if you need to catch up, you can find the whole series wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. But the problem is, when you start defining happiness like this, pleasurable satisfaction, I gotta tell you, something very, very bad happens. You define happiness as pleasurable satisfaction, then what are you going to do from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed at night? It's going to be all about you and what you want and what you need. And you're going to continually be looking for your happiness fix so that you'll turn in to the cookie monster version of mentality on humanity. See cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. That'll be you. You'll go from one pleasurable satisfaction to the next. You'll begin evaluating your life, your wife, your job, everything by asking these questions. How do they make me feel? Do they make me feel uplifted? Am I cheerful? Are they giving me what I want and what I need? Do I feel all good and ooey-gooey inside? And you will become the type of person that you yourselves detest. You'll become a self-absorbed, ever-increasing, narcissistic person. That's who you'll be. Here's the deal. Happiness has not been defined as pleasurable satisfaction for 3,000 years. It's only our generation. Because before then, it was totally different. And you will find it, you college students, you majors in literature, you will find it in Plato's Republic, in Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethic, you will find it in Augustine's Confessions, for you Bible scholars, in Thomas Aquinas' writings in the late 1200s, You'll find it in the world of Calvin, in the world of Luther, and you will find it all through the Old Testament. But more importantly, you will find it in something Jesus emphatically stated in the Gospels. Because happiness comes from the Greek word, is the Greek word eudaimonia. And eudaimonia does not mean pleasurable satisfaction. And for 3,000 years, we knew that. It meant this, a life of character, wisdom, and virtue that finds its role in life and plays it. True happiness is connected with discovering what it is you were made to do and why you were put up on this earth and then attaching your life to that. Plato says, Aristotle rather, the happy man is the man who finds his role in life and plays it. In other words, 
If you're going to be happy, truly, genuinely, authentically happy, and stop chasing the wind, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to discover, number one, that this world is not time plus matter plus chance. You are here for a reason. You were created specifically for a purpose. There is a hole in this universe that only you can fill. Only you. And that's why God made you and he equipped you for it. He's waiting on you to acknowledge it and be involved in that activity that'll bring you happiness. As a matter of fact, David thought, thought this and believed this a long time before we ever heard of it. Psalm 139, he said, for you, meaning God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Now, young people, I want you to listen to this next line. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Let me tell you, if you're in this room and you're doubting you have purpose in this world, listen, if you're in this room and you're contemplating ending your life, let me tell you what God would say to you. In heaven's name, what are you doing? Just because you've been sidetracked all your life, just because you haven't found that place yet, doesn't mean it does not exist. As a matter of fact, the evil one wants you to end your life because if you do, there's going to be a gap in the universe that only you could have filled. And these two Hebrew words are awesome words. They're hard to translate into English. But this word fearfully, it really evolves into our English word awesome. That you are awesome because you've been wonderfully made. It's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word that talks about intricate detail upon intricate detail upon intricate detail. You are so unique. Nobody's like you. Nobody is exactly like you. You come with a unique set of giftings, of personalities, that when those two mesh together, then you express yourself in a way that nobody else can. you got a place to feel in the universe. God wants you to understand that, and your happiness is connected to it. That's why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Now stay with me. Let me finish this thought and then make that application. A shorter sermon today. You'll be happy. <laughs> Listen, I could take you back today to the city of Corinth where Paul actually faced the judgment seat in Rome. Still there. Where the Roman officer would have said some pretty strong words to Paul. Paul had been accused of starting a riot in Corinth. The Roman judge would have looked at Paul and said this, Paul, today, whether you started this riot or what, we know this by Roman literature, today, you're going to take up your cross. Now, you don't think this word was originated with Jesus, do you? It didn't. Jesus picked up on this phrase and adapted it to how he wanted to use it to call all followers toward himself. Because when Paul heard those words by the Roman governor, Paul, today you're going to take up your cross. We now know that that meant one thing. You forfeit all your rights, all your objectives, all your goals, everything you forfeit to Rome now. And you begin to do exactly what your new master, Rome, tells you to do. Jesus takes that common phrase, looks to his disciples and everyone that would follow him in the future, and he says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to forfeit all your rights, all your objectives, all your goals, because this world is not about you. But Jesus says, here's the promise. Rome demands your soul without the promise of eudaimonia. But if you give your soul to me, I promise you, 
you will discover what it is to be happy, to lose yourself in my purposes in the world, and to do what you were originally made to do, you will save your soul from death. Now, folks, that's what he says in the passage, but this is not a salvation passage. It's a passage to remind you of how you raise your soul out of the depths of depression and how you start facing life every day with purpose and meaning and joy. And you do that when you give up these things of pursuing your own life and you give it to Christ and his purposes in the world, you will discover what it really means to live. You will find your true self and you will find out what it is to be truly and authentically happy. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, for Jesus, you'll find it. You'll find what it is to be happy. Now, that's a little heavy stuff. So we're going to take a big, deep breath. And I'm going to try to illustrate and bring it all together, okay? Now you know we're all in this together. Well, here's another one. Hey, guys, you remember when we played Little League Baseball? And Coach said, hey, uh, Vines, I want you to go out and stand in the outfield. We're going to have batting practice. You remember how often baseballs came to the outfield? There's punishment and torture in the hot sun. So you're standing out in the outfield waiting on a ball to come. And that's where you discover four-leaf clovers, by the way. <laughs> you start looking at God's creation. Start looking around. Yeah, woo, there's one right there. I think I'll take that. And then you see the birds the way you've never seen them. You hear noises. You've ne- and then you get bonked on the head with a ball. That's usually when it happens because you're not paying attention. But I'll tell you something else I've learned. Here's another thing you can do. Just stare at the sun. Your mom told you not to do it, but just look. If you keep sta- here's what happens to you. If you keep staring at it long enough, okay? Now, don't do too long because you'll never be able to see again. But if you do it long enough, then you turn your head and you close your eyes. There's these cool little dots that jump all around in your eyelids. I promise you, they jump everywhere. This is why you came to church today, folks, right here. The dots are jumping around. And man, it's frustrating because they look beautiful, but you really can't see them. Because they're jumping all around. It's frustrating. So I'd look again, close them, try to look again. I found out how to see them. Yes, that's right. You too can see them. Focus on a point in the background. And if you take your eyes off the dots and focus to a fixed point in the background of your eyes, the little dots stop. They become stabilized. And you too can enjoy them in living color. <laughs> it's really cool. Jeff, what on earth is your point? If you spend your entire life pursuing your next happiness fix, and you're always in pursuit of the next pleasurable satisfaction, your life will become unstable because you'll never get what you want because you can't get what you want. That dream is elusive. But if you focus on the bigger picture in the background and align your life with the very purposes of God in your life, then your life will become stabilized. The dots will stop shaking. You will find yourself. You find it by losing it. And you will discover what true happiness is. When you align your life, not with pleasurable satisfaction, that's an unstable life, but with a stability that living your life for the purpose for which you were created brings. When you do that then, folks, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You find your life by letting go of it and asking where God is moving, by being absorbed in what God is doing, and you start asking the question of what role were you meant and designed to play, and you align yourself with God's purposes in your life. Folks, 
You think you're here by accident this morning in that chair? You're kidding, right? God brings us all together in this place because every single one of you have a role to play in changing the world. And you're never going to be... Listen, I wish I could crawl up inside your head and get... Listen, you pursue happiness because God programmed you to do it. But you're looking for it. I'm looking for it. We're looking for it in the wrong place. You're only going to find it when you use your greatest... Listen, the happiness factor kicks in when you surrender your life, when you give up your rights, and when you begin to be involved in what you were made to do. And the reason your soul is depressed is because your soul knows very well that what you're doing is not going to bring eternal happiness and that it's not something that is of eternal value. You can't trick your soul. Your soul knows that all these happiness fixes are temporary at best. It knows it's just going to last for a moment and then you're going to need another one. It's waiting for that thing in which you involve yourself that matters, that is hooked up eternally, and that corresponds with that thing God made you and only you to do in the world. That's why I enjoy so much the words of Eric Little. Remember Eric Little, the movie Chariots of Fire, based on his life? He won the Olympic gold medal in the 400 meters, 1924 Olympics, held in Paris. Put his hand on his sister. He said this, God has made me very fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Man, when you're doing what God wants you, what you were made to do, you will feel pleasurable. You will feel joy. Hey, it's been about two or three weeks since I used the golf illustration, so I think I'm due, don't you? <laughs> so here it is. I remember this past week getting this message together about Tom Lehman. Tom Lehman plays on the PGA Tour. A little older now, probably about my age, still a great player. In 1996, he was the captain of the Ryder Cup for the America's team. Tom Lehman feels that although he's a PGA Tour player, it's not his purpose in life. God has given him the spiritual gift of encouragement. It's actually a gift listed in the New Testament. That's his job. And so the Europeans and the Americans had arrived at the opening ceremonies of the Ryder Cup. We got waxed, by the way. That's okay. We won last year. And so the Americans typically line up on one side, the European uh, members of, of the tour line up on their side and they walk up the red carpet, arm in arm, they're with their wives. They walk up, their wives go to the side and then they walk up on the stage and the ceremonies begin. There was one player in 1996 by the name of Darren Clark. Tom Lehman knew, even though Darren was on the opposite team, knew it was going to be a tough time, especially this time of walking up and the Ryder Cup ceremonies beginning because four months earlier, Darren Clark had lost his wife to cancer. So Tom Lehman had a little talk with Phil Mickelson. He said, Phil, I wonder. He said, I wonder if you would talk to your wife, Amy, and I wonder if you would have her stand on the opposite side near the Ryder Cup player and just step across the aisle and grab Darren Clark's arm so that he would have somebody to walk up the aisle with. You would still have your wife, and he would, he would be given love. When Amy Mickelson did that, I mean, Darren Clark broke down. He was so grateful that somebody would care that much about where he was. I want you to see the photo that was taken when Tom Lehman and Darren Clark hugged after the tournament was over. I just thought it was interesting that Tom Lehman's nickname on tour is the happy man. That's where happiness is found. When you know there is a gift, a spiritual gift given to you by God, the reason for which you were made, 
and you spend your time doing that. You know, but we don't have to, look, we don't have to go outside of our church to find heroes. You know, Jim Bear, you know who he is? He began attending here, I think probably five, six, seven years ago. He had been away from Christ. He rededicated his life to Christ. And then he heard the announcement right up here that we were going to start a pioneer work in Kenya, in Africa. Jim says he noticed that God started tugging on his heart. At first he wanted to say no, but God kept tugging. And all of a sudden there, there seemed to be this meshing of the spirit of God with his belief that he had never lived up to his potential, never really done what God called him to do. And now all of a sudden he felt this is what I was made for. He sold his business. Yeah, it was a great step of faith. He didn't know the land to which he was going to be moving. But if you don't at least take that first step of faith, you'll never know what it is to live in the land promised by God. So he took the first step of faith. He moved, sold his business, and established Chosen Children of Promise, an organization that we pump a lot of resources into. Now I want you to meet Helen. Helen is one of many. When Jim's organization discovered her, she was one year old, seven pounds. Her skin was dry, her hair would not grow, she was lethargic, no energy. For all practical purposes, friends, she was dying. This organization that Jim helped found began giving Helen, this is one of many folks, one of many who desperately needed help, gave her love, care, concern, and food. I want you to see Helen today. She's gained 13 pounds. This is the new Helen. If you were to ask Jim, Jim, what's it like selling your business and moving to Kenya? Say, well, I have bad days. I have good days. Being a past missionary myself, I can promise you one of the things he'd say, you know, it's funny. I miss McDonald's cheeseburgers probably more than anything else. Uncanny. Don't know why. But if you ask him, would he leave? No. Why? Because I have discovered the reason for which I was made. I have found eudaimonia. I know what it is to have joy and happiness. Even though there are good days and bad days and require sacrifice, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You don't have to go to Kenya, though. What about James Blaskley, who's a registered auto mechanic, who found out that one of our single moms in our church needed her brakes repaired. He accepted the call, repaired the brakes, used the gift that God gave him to make a difference in the world. And I want to tell you, I'm telling you, those little kids and her family will not soon forget what somebody did for their mom. What he's doing now matters in eternity. Even if you can't see it, it matters in eternity. That's an everyday hero right there with a great vision. And they do it, all of them, because they understand the connection between doing what God made me to do and true, authentic joy and happiness. Let me tell you, here's the way I see it. One day, because the Bible says that we're all trophies of God. Did you know that? We are trophies of God in a trophy case. One day, I imagine there's going to be a big parade in heaven. God's going to be high and lifted up. And he's going to watch this parade go through downtown New City, Jerusalem, streets of gold. There's going to be one float after the next. Every float filled with people who found what it is to be truly, authentically happy, discovered their purpose for which they were made, and attached their lives to it. And God stands up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, those guys changed the San Gabriel Valley. People started having food to eat. Man, they were my hands. They were, they were my arms to a whole community. Look at them. Oh, man. There's that CCV Valley, Christ Church of the Valley, parade float. Now, my question to you is, are you going to be on it? Are you on that float? Because you discovered your gift, and you live your life not pursuing your happiness fix, 
but pursuing and aligning your life to the purpose for which God made you. You say, Jeff, what is the purpose? Please let the cat out of the bag. I want to know what it is. If I knew what it is, I would do it. We're going to help you discover that through this series. But right now, I want you to know God had a dream and has a dream. Martin Luther King had a dream. But I want you to know I have a dream. I have one too. I have a dream that not one single child in the San Gabriel Valley will go to bed hungry at night. Not even one. I have a dream where no single mom will ever lose her home without us coming and giving her a place to live and helping her get back on her feet. I have a dream that no child in Zimbabwe, no child will be without pure drinking water and at least have a chance at life. And that no little child in Kenya will ever die again because of starvation. You say, that's a pretty big dream. Yes, it is. And the only way it can be accomplished is if I get you out of the stands and onto the playing field. That I motivate you enough and God, through the power of his spirit, opens your eyes to the truth that all of us together, he owns this city. He owns everything. And all of us together can do what he wants us to do, can change the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I can somehow get you out of those stands and onto the playing field. And so I, I want to ask you to do this, this first part of this series. Now that you know where true happiness is found, before we go on and help you discover that gift, I'm asking you, I want you to make a decision today. I want you to treat this as if it's the altar of God right here. It's not, I know, symbolically, it's the altar of God. I want to ask you to get out of your chair and walk up around this altar with me. And I want you to come forward and I want you to say, God, I've never done that. I've never given my life to you. My objective, my goals, everything. So God, I'm coming today. Here I am. But God, I don't know the role in the universe that I was designed to play. So over these next few weeks, God, would you open my eyes and reveal the very reason for which I was made? Those two things. Because I need to do it again. And I want to be the first one God, here I am. My life is yours. Show me that place. Show me the role. Man, I will do it. Just reveal it to me. Let's do it together. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.